Welcome to the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast with your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Badass Direct Sales Mastery is a podcast for rock star direct sales moms who are determined to make their business kick ass. Jenny will share her knowledge of effective sales and recruiting techniques, tips to get what you want from your business, and will interview direct sales professionals and leaders from various companies. The interviews will give insight to how these rock stars got to where they are and where they plan to grow in the future. And now, the direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Welcome back to another episode of the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger, and I'm here today with Dean Newland. Now, Dean and I have known each other for a little over a year now. We've had the opportunity to work together on a few different occasions. And I was really excited when he said he wanted to come and talk to you guys because his history is amazing. So let me tell you a little bit about Dean. In the early 1990s, Dean Newland was a multi-level marketing state director for Minnesota and Washington. To support his business, he got a certification in coaching, which later led to him opening a coaching practice exclusively serving direct sales and MLM small businesses. That business grew and now Mission Facilitators International is fortunate to have worked with thousands of business leaders in dozens of companies nationally and internationally. As CEO, Dean leads a team that provides coaching, leadership, and team development and strategic planning services for leaders and their teams. Dean is also a TEDx speaker and has a popular podcast called The Business of Intuition. Welcome to the BDSM podcast, Dean. Hey, Jenny. Good to see you. Oh, good to see you too. I We've been spending a lot of time together because you were just most recently on the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Summit as one of our speakers talking about the neuroscience of influence and attraction. And that was amazing. It was so good. I loved it. I loved it. I'm going to go back and rewatch it probably two or three times oh, myself. <laughs> So I'm really happy to have you here. So tell us a little more about your history in multi-level marketing. Well, first and foremost, it was one of those things when I was oh, maybe late 20s or so that I wanted to get some extra income. I had been involved in a relationship and the two of us decided to do it together. Grew up to being a state director for Minnesota. And then eventually that relationship went bye-bye, but I kept the business and moved over to Washington and I became a state director there. And the nice thing about that particular company is that they provided some really good leadership development. They sort of saw that your business building efforts were going to be partly as a result of your ability to lead teams and be a good communicator and be a good leader. So at that point, I went through a year-long coaching certification program back in the day when coaching was still just associated with sports, not for business. <laughs> and I took to it so well, I decided like, you know what, this is really what I want to be doing more of. So for the first couple of years or year, all I did was coach other MLM network marketing, direct sales people on growing their business. And that's, so I had sort of both of them running at the same time. And then eventually I decided, you know what, I really want to do this full-time. So I, I started to transition to doing coaching full-time. So that's how it started. And so I've got my roots in this industry and I've got a lot of great experiences from it, but it just kept scaling and growing. And, and you know, we ended up doing work 
in 19 different countries. We've worked with a lot of Fortune 5 companies, but it started from very humble beginnings at a point where I kept thinking, well, if this doesn't work out, I can always go back and wait tables. You know, it was always that in the back of my head, but it did work out. And now we've got a nice team and we work with some really great clients. Yeah, I have to say when I had the opportunity to work with you back in 2020, I did go check out Mission Facilitators International and I was severely impressed. I was like, ooh, this is pretty freaking cool that I get to work with this guy. So the fact that we had the opportunity to work together for about six weeks and then help you launch your podcast. So now the podcast business of intuition, how is that going for you? Tell us a little bit about that, because I think many of my listeners are probably going to be interested in hearing some of what you have to talk about on the business of intuition. Well, I think when you, where do I start? There's so much around this topic around intuition, but for me personally, the the decision to do a business was partly based on data. We know, do I have the skills? Do I have the resources and so on and so forth? And some of it was a leap of faith and some of it was also just intuitive. It just felt like the right thing to do. So I believe that intuition is a very important decision-making tool to add into your toolkit when it comes to growing a small business. We can't get all the information on Google. We have to kind of go back to how does this feel? You know, I coach a lot of different executives and small business owners. And oftentimes when they go back and revert back to a, a decision that they made that later they regret, I would ask them, so when you were making that decision many moons ago, did you know at the time somewhere in the back of your mind that this was the wrong thing to do? And almost always they say, yes, I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I did it anyway. And then, of course, the question becomes, why did you do it then? And so that becomes the second part around intuition is often the courage to use it. Mm. Because sometimes what you hear, sometimes what you sense is something that's going to require a fair amount of change. I mean, for me, I didn't uh, listened to my intuition and got married anyway, round number one. And I wish that I had paid attention, but nonetheless, I grew from it. So a lot of things, I think that intuition is not a woo-woo sort of discussion. It is just using a greater part of your brain. It is finding a way to listen to the whisper of that information that's coming to you and having the ability to trust it and off, often act on it. That's what really this is about. And I'm talking to executives and CEOs about this topic as well. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. On this podcast that you're talking about, there's nobody that says, I don't know what intuition feels like. So everybody uses it. It's just whether or not you have that ability to trust it and put it into action. I love that. And I think it's so true because when it, it, when it comes to me, when I look back at every time I have listened to my intuition, when I've listened to my gut, almost never steers me wrong. So it's been an interesting journey to say the least, at least in my life, based on following intuition and taking a look at that. But I think it came from years of practicing and years of messing up and not listening to my intuition to go, oh, I knew better. I shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, it, it, just like you were saying there. So I think that's a really a big thing for people to begin to identify that it's there. And then, as you said, trust that our intuition and start listening to ourselves, because there's a reason our gut, our brain, or whatever you want to call it is telling us not to do something or to go do something. So, you know, and sometimes it's interesting because when I tell the story of me getting into podcasting myself, 
the story of me getting into podcasting starts with me going, I am not going to be a podcaster. (laughs) There was a whole lot of resistance around it initially. And now I'm the biggest advocate for podcasting. So in pre-interview, you and I were talking about a blog that you wrote recently, which is it's time to dream again. So Mm. tell us a little bit about that. Well, it goes back to intuition in in some ways, Jenny, but I think about this last year. I mean, here we are, what is almost April 1st, 2021, and we're still sort of at the end of something called the pandemic. It's changed our mindsets dramatically across the country, across the globe. One of the mindsets that I think has become embedded in a lot of us, or at least we're dealing with, is fear. It's a fear of the unknown. It's a fear of of this disease. It's a fear of other people. It's a fear of our family members. It's a fear of everybody that we come in contact with. I go for a run. People go and walk away from me because they don't want me to run by them. There's this fear of people. And so this constant barrage, media has a certain role to play with it as well, around fear is that because of the fear, we start to letting that become more important in our decision-making process, which then squelches this intuitive piece that we also have. And so now we no longer are in control. Our destiny is in the hands of other people. And so I just have been thinking, and I've been hearing this with others more and more, is that maybe now is the time that we should start dreaming again. Mm-hmm. Maybe now is the time we just say, is like, okay, I know that everything is not perfect and nor will it ever be. And there will always be fear in our life, but we can we still feel the fear but not make it the sole reason why we decide something. Can we make a bold move to grow into a new business or to move into a new part of the country or to, to, to create a new friendship or to get married or have a child? Whatever the thing is that we're doing to move ourselves forward based on that dream, can we do it even though we're afraid? And can we do that maybe even though we're afraid with other people? Can we Mm. connect to others who are also afraid and say, hand out, let's grab on together. Let's do this together. We're both afraid. We're both in a weird, crazy world right now, but let's not let that define who we are. Let's Mm. make sure that we keep moving. No, that doesn't mean that you're foolish. That doesn't mean you make stupid decisions. And there are some statistics that people are finally saying, I was reading something that over the last year, there's been more 100 mile an hour speeding tickets than in the history of recording speeding violations. Really? Think about that. And then, so listening to the reporters, like, why is that? People are pent up. They're sort of like maybe because of the whole situation with the, the paradigm around police these days. You know, all of these things come into play with like, what the heck, this effort, right? Let's get out and drive yeah. fast. And, and it's probably a, uh, an, an expression of a lot of pent up uh, anger and frustration. But nonetheless, let's not be foolish. Let's not drive 100 miles an hour in a, you know, 35 mile hour school zone, right? We're not (laughs) going to do that. That's not being intuitive. That's just being foolhardy. But intuitive says, let's tap into our soul. Let's tap into our heart. Let's tap into our big picture. What do we really want to be doing? You know, what is this life about? What question is this life here to answer? So if we start to go into that space, that mindset, then let's take some risks that are not foolhardy, but it's part of the expression of who we want to be. Yes, we're going to have to pivot. We get it. You know, like, for example, I got this birthday coming up at the end of April. And back in October, I said, I want to put a stake in the ground and say, I want to go skiing in Switzerland on, you know, the end of April. 
Well, here we are almost April 1st, and that's not going to happen because mm. of the situation that Switzerland is quite not ready to take in you know, tourists the way that they would like. But nonetheless, I'm just going to move that date to someplace else. You know, yeah. So we have to adjust, but let's keep dreaming. Let's get back to thinking big picture. Let's get back to thinking 2020, 2040, 2050, 2060. Let's not hold ourselves in because that's where life is. Human beings are so predisposed around thinking ahead and creating something. Let's get back to creating. And that's what this article is really all about. I love it. Now, one of the things that I have heard from a few different sources, so I don't know where it originated, but I think it's probably true because I know it's true for me, is that most people will probably overestimate what they can do in a year but will underestimate what they can accomplish in three, five, and 10 years. Have you seen that to be true as well? Yeah, I think so. We, have, we It's like we go to a restaurant and we see the menu and we, we order up too much and we have to bring home four or five different doggy bags. And that sort of is representative of a year. We, we see something and we want it now, but it's often more than we can accomplish in that amount of time, which is okay. I think that's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. But then we don't have a vision for three years out. We don't have a vision for two years out or even 10 years out. And I think that there's context to a short-term goal can be set by developing a long-term vision. Mm. You know, it starts becoming more value-based when you get further out. It becomes more possession-based and materialistic and experience-based when it's shorter. I want a new house. I want a new car. I want to be able to, you know, afford this new vacation. That's great. Those are all good things. But then you start thinking 10 years out, then what is that really all about? Then all of a sudden you start having questions about larger things and values and how you're going to contribute uh, in a massive way. And, and, it, and it starts to focus you in more so that when you start developing that shorter term goal, it's aligned to that longer term value. So I think you're right. I'm just agreeing with you, but saying more around that. Yeah, no. And that's good too, because then knowing this, because I would have to say maybe about a third of my clients have asked me the question of, so what if I set a goal and I don't reach it, right? Like what then, what then? So how do you answer a question like that with your clients or do your clients even ask you that question? (laughs) So like what then means then I'm not worthy of the goal. I'm not good enough for the goal. It was too big of a goal for me to take on. Is that what that's? Yeah, sometimes I'm thinking of one of my clients in particular where when she's had that, when we've had that discussion in the past, for her, it was she was really disappointed in herself that she didn't reach the goal. Even if she got 85, 90 percent of the way there, she was really disappointed because she she was so dead set on hitting that exact goal by that exact date. And it didn't happen, even though she and I got 85, 90% of the way there. So in going through, I think it's a disappointment piece for that particular client. But I think for other people, they probably also wonder, what if I don't reach it? Yeah, I mean, you're kind of bringing into uh, another topic here. Yeah, <laughs> which I bit. think that there is no, it's, it's, it's good. It's really, really important. I think what you're hitting on is really important. I know that in network marketing and multi-level marketing, when I was involved with that, People were setting goals all the time. We were training people on goal setting. And then 
you know, people would be discouraged to your point when they wouldn't reach it. And often they might even, you know, decide to quit because they start feeling the shame of like, well, this isn't going to work. It's either me or it's with systems. So I, since neither of them seem to be successful, I'm going to bow out and go back to doing whatever I was doing before. I think that's a really important, you've identified something that's really key here. There is something else that's going on subconsciously here and with a lot of people is sort of a, an imposter syndrome. Mm. It's that, that subconscious mind that says, I don't really deserve this anyway. So I will try really hard only to fail in my mind, not to say that it's true, in order to prove the point that I wasn't good enough anyway. And so when we start getting into that loop, we start seeing we have a racket. We're really here to create goals only to prove that we're not good enough in the first place, which isn't true, but that's how the subconscious mind sometimes works. So I think that there's a there's some work to be done for all of us. And this is not just specific to people in small business and network marketing. This happens with CEOs who also have imposter syndromes going on as well with large companies. But it's to take a look at what's the mindset that's running the show. Yeah. I mean, let's set some goals. Yes. But like, what is the, that goes back to intuition again. Like, what does our intuition tell us about that goal? You know, do we really feel like we can do that? Does that really feel aligned with who we are? Are we doing it because it's a should or we have to, it's a duty or do we, or are we, we're excited, but we're just scared, you know, that's different, you know? So yeah. we need to start unpacking some of that stuff. And, and I, I do think that what garbage comes in, garbage, garbage comes out. So what are we telling ourselves? What is that mindset? What is that little chatter in our head that talks to us about that goal or about the doing of the activities to get to that goal? Are we saying things to ourselves that's encouraging? Or are we saying things to ourselves that actually is tearing ourselves down only to be proven later that we were right by what we were saying? Mm. So I think start to look at the internal mindset that's running the show here. The goal is not running the show. <laughs> no. The goal is just the direction. The internal mindset is really the, the, the driving force behind that. So I think you bring up an incredibly important topic. It's just, I think that the it isn't working harder to get the outcome. Mm -hmm. It's also paying attention to what you're telling yourself along the way. Amen to that. I mean, the self-fulfilling prophecy is is dangerous in every direction, right? Yeah. And the nice thing to the self-fulfilling prophecy is you can also use it to your advantage because if it's true right. in the negative direction, logic tells us it must be true in the positive direction, right? Yes. That yes. if we tell ourselves that we're not going to make it, that we're not going to do it, that we don't deserve it, then we're probably going to fulfill that prophecy, that thing we've told ourselves by doing the kinds of actions, behaviors, and using that type of language that's going to fulfill that prophecy. But when we change the narrative, when we switch it over, so that's what one thing I love about you know, anybody who says, you know, placebo effects, self-fulfilling prophecy, any of those. And I'm like, you say that like it's a negative thing. And then here I am going, well, if it's true in the negative, it must be true in the positive, right? So yeah. if it's, it's just in the, one of my other coaches, Scott Conway, he has posited that negative is four times more powerful than positive. So yeah. when we say something negative, it impacts us by four times more than a positive comment would, right? So it's going to yep. take us saying a positive thing five times, five times to negate a negative thing that we say about ourselves. 
right? It's exactly right. It's like the the interview that you had with me on your on your summit around the neuroscience of influence. That there the, the, the science says this is not just somebody at Maui sitting back with a Mai Tai coming up with this stuff, but the science says is yeah. that the brain actually perceives negative, or you could call it threats five times more than mm. it does a benefit because we're just sort of, if you think about it, we, you know, the, the, we still have the reptilian brain. We still have the cave man and woman brain. It's still there. And so those brains that were, you know, hundreds, thousands of years old in its evolution was there to protect our very survival. So saber tooth tigers and people <laughs> coming out with clubs, the brain was there to tell us, look out for danger. It was there to protect self. Well, we still have that brain running the show even today, even though we've developed this thing in the front of our head called the prefrontal cortex, which is the reasoning executive functioning side. So to your point, the brain is already predisposed to see threats five times more than benefits. Just as you're talking about with, you know, with the affirmations you say, you may have to double down on those to offset the ones that happen naturally that are yeah. negative. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think it is a learned thing because anyone who has known me for any amount of time knows that I am a very positive person. And it's because I've had to train myself in that direction. You know, I didn't start out that way. I was raised to be more positive than negative. Thank goodness. But then I, you know, and I think I've talked about this before on my podcast, probably not with you, but you know, I had a very negative thing happen to me in near the end of college where I was with an abuse, verbally abusive boyfriend who totally tore me down. And coming back from that was a very conscious process to go through and rebuild the mentality of positivity again, because that had mm. been completely taken away over time from me. So it is a process that can be done and rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt, but you have to really think about it and work at it to learn to say those positive things to yourself and challenge those negative things that you might be saying to yourself or someone else might be saying to you, challenging them over and over and over and over again, and, you know, proving why they're wrong. You know, you bring up a good point again. I was interviewing a guy named David Gandelman, mm. who has a really popular training program that he's done many, many times on meditation. And he also has a, an app that I guess has been downloaded, I don't know, billions of times. It's way up there. So he's kind of like a guru when it comes to meditation. This guy knows stuff, but he works a lot of corporations and so forth. And I, and I asked him, I said, David, I have a hard time sometimes with meditation. I have to be honest with you because when my brain starts to kick into gear and I'm trying to have these positive thoughts to your point, Jenny, I'm trying to like sort of get myself focused on the day in a positive way, but I have all this other junk starts getting in the way. And then I start saying, well, screw this. I don't want to experience this sort of failure. I'm going to go back and make some coffee. Yeah. You know, I don't my own swaller, my own garbage of junk in my head. It's just awful. So he goes, well, maybe your brain is just trying to tell you that you need to work on something. Maybe these are some things that, you know, whatever is coming up, that's, a, that's an indication that there's an unresolved issue that you need to look at. So instead of pushing away from the negativity, why don't you embrace it and say, what's the lesson learned here? Mm. Going, oh, okay, that's a pretty good idea. So at the same time, I think we have to build this, this habit of being able to, to, to say things to ourselves more positively so that we sort of quell or squash that imposter syndrome. So the goals are not an execution or an activity of proving that I'm not good enough 
all that's true. But at the same time, if we keep getting a message from our subconscious or a conscious mind that is upset about something, what's that about? Why am I keep obsessing about my mother? You know, why do I keep obsessing about my son or my, my friend? What's that about? How do we unpack that mm-hmm. in order to sort of go for, to be able to get to some sort of acceptance, like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know, she talks about the five stages of, of grief. When do we get to acceptance of the fact that this person is not going to be a part of my life anymore? Mm-hmm. They've decided to move on, even though I keep obsessing about them. How do we accept that? How do we release that? So sometimes the way you get past something is not just by bulldozing yourself into positivity, but it's also by going, okay, I'm willing to feel this and I'm going to let it through my body and I'm going to be upset or sad or angry, whatever the case may be, and get to a place where I can accept what is and then start to rebuild from there. So I think that both are true. I just wanted to throw that other side in that there may be a part of what's running in our brains that we need to look at. I think that's really important for people to understand that because so few people understand how much impact the way our brains work has on us, like especially those that reptilian lizard brain, as you called it, those of us in the psychology world the amygdala, <laughs> so, <Thank you. laughs> right? The amygdala, the reticular activating formation, those are all the things that are looking out for us, trying to protect us all the time, which is why when somebody asks us to do something, our, for many of us, our first instinct is to say no, right? Because we're protecting ourselves. So in going through that process, now, some of us have been trained in the opposite direction of say yes to everything, Right, <laughs> which yeah. now overloads your plate. And that's a whole other problem, whole other issue that we won't address today because we don't have time. But one of the things I want people to understand is so in MLM and direct sales in particular, right? We're asking people to take a look at products. We're asking people to take a look at sponsorships, right? So those things seem risky to other people who don't know us or who don't know the company, Right. And so their first instinct is to say no. I mean, the number of times I heard no before they turned around and went, you know what? Okay, maybe I will. I heard no way more than I ever heard yes, because people, you're asking people to take a risk. And that is scary for a lot of people. So, how do you recommend somebody begin to think about these things as they're including it in their sales and and sponsoring conversations? The business that we all have is going to succeed as a result of our own transformation. It's downstream. It's a lag indicator. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it, it's not the other way around. My business transform and then I do. And a lot of people get into business thinking that way. If I make $10,000 a month, then my, my life will transform because then I can do all these things. And that's true. But on the other hand, I think that the mental changes that take place and the, the personal growth that people have actually is the precursor to the downstream success that we want. So that's just one thing. When we start having conversations with people, I always think is that you wanna create connection knowing that people don't want connection, especially if they don't know you very well, you know, mm-hmm. like a cold call or whatever you might do. So realize that there's billions of bits of information coming at people all the time and their job is to say no to almost all of it 
that's just the way we are now. This, I mean, uh, you know how many emails you get that spam, how many phone calls you get that are spam. It's it's ridiculous, right? So our job is really to say no to most of what's coming at us. So that's we become habitual about that. So now you show up, and I think that if you show up from a standpoint of being accepting of wherever that person is at, and that your energy is grounded and it's it's good in its own skin, you know, you are good with yourself, and that you have a certain kind of inner glow about you. You enjoy what you're doing. People are going to want to be around you as much as your sponsorship. So they like Jenny and then go, God, she's great. What has yeah. she got? What is she doing? What is she drinking? What is she thinking? What is she driving? I want to know that. I want to be a part of that. If nothing else, I just want to be part of Jenny because of who she is as a person, because there's a part of me that's missing that part of myself that I know is there. And all of a sudden you made me realize that it's there, but I haven't accessed it. So when we kind of come to our conversations with, we're here to create connection, we're here to serve. And whether I give you this product or this sponsorship, or whether I just tell you about a good movie or a way to serve your kids, you know, teething problems, whatever it is. Yeah. If you're just there to serve, then be of service to people in a way that's, that's accepting of whether they take it or not. Mission accomplished. And then by virtue of doing that enough, People want to hang around you. They want to buy your stuff because it feels good. It's, 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 it's an extension of your own light. It's an extension of your own giving. And people want to be a part of that. That's what's selling, yeah. not toothpaste. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And anybody who has listened to this podcast long enough knows that they've heard me say this time and again. People buy people. They don't buy things. The only time we are buying things is when we are going to Amazon, Target, Walmart, (laughs) any of those big, you know, Best Buy, any of those big name companies, because virtually none of us can say we have a personal human being that has gotten us in the door to Target every time. Or, you know, we go to Amazon when we just want to buy the thing. We just want to buy the book. We don't want to deal with people. We don't want to do whatever. We just go to the website and boom, boom, done, shipped in two days. Yep. But for everything else in your life, take a look at the things around you, your car, your furniture, you know, your house, you bought into the realtor who worked with you, you bought into the person at the furniture store who really listened to what you had to say about what you were looking for in your house and didn't try to upsell you to the $40,000 Italian leather, whatever, (laughs) right? Because you didn't want Italian leather because you've got young kids and pets with claws, right? So, you know, that person who is really listening and paying attention to you, those are the kinds of people who really begin to attract us back and come back time after time. I know that when I'm ready to go buy a car, I know exactly who I'm going to because the guy who sold me my current vehicle, 11 years later, 11 years later, I can still, I can still tell you his name. And when I'm going to go buy a car, I know I'm going to go talk to him because he helped me find exactly the vehicle I wanted. He did not try to talk me into some, you know, $70,000 vehicle that I didn't need. He got me into the exact $35,000 vehicle that was good for me. And I have sent tons of people his way because of that. So, you know, the other quick thing I'll say, Jenny, on that topic is how do you have these conversations with your potential clients or real clients? 
the other idea is to see the best in them, even if they can't see it in themselves. And if you come into that, I mean, this is like, you could use this as a manipulation in a negative way if you're not careful, but if you really are sincere and you really listen and you're not just doing a technique on somebody. I learned this in my sales training. It's not about that, but if you really all of a sudden start paying attention to people's highest and best and what they really are potentially able to do and you can introduce that idea to them and you're, and you're authentic in it, people are gonna love what they what you see in them. Mm-hmm. And then they want to know, how do I then bring that out? It says, well, here's some thoughts. And then you might have things that have to do with your business. Then you might have things that have to do with your business. You can partner with them on that. You can create a relationship around that kind of goal, that dream. That goes back to where we started with this whole thing, right? So if you mm-hmm. can help people see what's possible in a way that they have a relationship, a partnership that will help them get there. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? I know. Co-creating a dream together, co-creating a vision together. I, I would have yeah. to say that the team members that I work with personally, who I got the most out of in terms of, you know, for both of us, benefit for both of us, were those people who we co-created and said, what can we do together to help people in our lives? What can we do together to help you grow to help you benefit. And then they felt the same way about me. So I think that co-creation of a dream, co-creation of a vision, and then both of you working towards it is very helpful. And I agree. I think seeing the best in other people and assuming the best from other people is I I think an important piece from that. Cause I think sometimes people, because that protective part of their brain might go to assuming the worst in others, which is really Mm. unfortunate because I do have to say that I live my life assuming this is what uh, Jack Canfield calls as a reverse paranoid. I assume that people are out for the best for me. Mm -hmm. Right. That was a life-changing chapter in 2013 when I read that, which was, you know, assume that people are out for the best for you. They want the best for you. And, And then when you can assume that of others, then you start doing the same for them too, because humans live in a a place of wanting to come from reciprocity. Right. And so I think that's wonderful. So Dean, thank you so much. This has been such a wonderfully deep concept. I love this talking (laughs) about dreams and influence and, and attraction and imposter syndrome. I love this. This has been fabulous. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Anytime, anytime. Oh my gosh, guys. So those of you guys who have been listening now, you know that when there's someone like Dean on who's got a podcast that you can go, if you want more of what Dean is talking about, you should definitely go subscribe, rate and review Dean's podcast, The Business of Intuition and listen to it regularly just because he isn't in the world of direct sales. Now I will tell you, I've been a guest on his podcast too. So feel free to go take a listen to that episode, but definitely go listen because the people that he's talking to are from all different industries. And let me tell you, business is business is business. I don't care what your business model is. I don't care what your product or service is. Business is business because we all are dealing with people. And Dean is wonderful at helping you understand people. So thank you again, Dean. I so appreciate your time and your expertise here. 
Thank you. It's awesome. Just wonderful. Oh, wonderful. Well, guys, we are going to let you know, of course, as this always goes, stay tuned because there is another badass episode on its way. Thanks for listening to the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast with your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Why are you waiting to go to BadassDirectSalesMastery.com? Don't make the dom get her whip. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with another rock star that you know in direct sales after you subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. You can also check out the show notes for links and any contact information mentioned in today's episode. We'll see you next time.